Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Welcome. For those of you watching online, you are really welcome. Maybe if you're watching from Hagley or Rowley or one of our microsites in Bromsgrove or Clibbury Mortimer, you're really welcome. In fact, this morning I heard that there are people watching from Holiday as well. So there's even somebody watching from Venice. Did you know that Birmingham has more canals? No, it doesn't. All right, it doesn't. We keep saying that, but it really doesn't. But wherever you're watching from, you're really welcome. And of course, for those of you in the room as well, so good to see you. And I know that over the last few weeks, there have been people coming for the very first time. So you're especially welcome. And people coming for the first time in a long time. And it's so good to have you guys back with us as well. And maybe if you're watching online and you've not been yet uh, to House Owen for our in-person, we would love to see you. We're having a great time, aren't we? Yeah, see, both of them said, no, there's more than both of them, there really is. So um, it's great to uh, just welcome you today. And I'm going to bring our series to a close called Reset. And I'm going to open up by asking a question. And the question is very simply this, why am I not living my best life? And if you know what that phrase means, it's been out in our culture for about eight to 10 years now, living your best life. You see it on Instagram, I'm living my best life. And there's this like this phrase, but why are we not living our best life? And I want to suggest that the reason we're not living our best life is going to be down to this little word, because, because dot, dot, dot. Okay. And because literally means for the reason that, or due to the fact that, So for some of you watching, maybe here in the room or online, whether you're a person of faith or not, you might say, I'm not living my best life because I haven't met that special person yet. If that person came along into my life, the love thing, then I'll be living my best life. Or maybe it's because you haven't got your dream job or because you haven't got that lucky break that you've been waiting for. Or maybe you would answer this in this way. I'm not living my best life because of the situation I'm in. Because of the struggle or the difficulty or the challenge that I'm in. Or maybe you'd answer this with this. I'm not living my best life because of him or because of her. Last week we looked at love and we looked at what is it to love those people that, you know, it's one thing to love the people within your circle. But we push people out of our circle into another circle. What is it to love the difficult people or the different people or the damaged people or the dangerous people? And maybe some of you are saying, I would be living my best life if only it wasn't for that person. But I want to suggest none of those answers are going to answer the question today. Because the reason you and I are not living our best life often is nothing to do with what living your best life tells you it is to do with, all right, if that makes sense. Because basically living your best life literally means this, according to all the definitions, it's one that makes you happy and makes you live to the fullness of your potential. And that's where the problem is. Our problem is we're starting at the wrong point. Because if living our best life is just about what makes you happy and what brings you to the full potential, it, ladies and gentlemen, is all about you. Reminds me of one of my favourite little illustrations, and I've said it many times. Those of you who are old school around the church, you're not, but I just love this. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm not a cat person or a dog person, okay? How many of you cat people, cat people in the room? Both of you, dog people. Lots of dog people, okay, both of you. That was, that was disparaging, that was, I didn't mean it like that. But here's, here's the difference between a cat and a dog. A dog says, you stroke me, you feed me, you love me, you must be God. 
A cat says, you stroke me, you love me, you feed me. I must be God. And you see the difference there is is that when we place ourselves at the centre of the universe, in the centre of our world, we will never live our best lives because we're not living the life that God designed us to live. And I want to open this up because I think this is so important. It's so important in our culture, which is pushing all the time that you can be really happy all the time. And if you're not happy, there's something wrong. I want to tell you, we need to push against that. It's not the teaching of the Bible. It doesn't work and you're never living your best life when it's only all about you. And um, I think every single worldview, okay, that there is, is trying to answer three basic questions. Where did we come from? Where are we going? And why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? And why are we here? And that's why we believe that a faith in Jesus answers all those three questions. In fact, many, many people here um, in the room and those online, we weren't always followers of Jesus. Um, we didn't believe in God. We didn't believe in the Bible. But we came to a realisation that it makes sense. And then when we came to put our faith and our trust and our hope and love in this person called Jesus, not only does it make sense, but it answers the questions that we're asking in life. And we've just begun a new alpha course and it's online and there are people on that. And again, it's not too late for any of you to join up and just go onto our website, lifecentralchurch.org.uk and you can sign up for alpha. Join us online. It's on a Monday evening and you can look at some of the answers to these questions. But you know... um, when John, who, who wrote, we're looking at Paul, but when John, who also wrote a lot of the, the Bible, the New Testament, when he talked about Jesus in John chapter 13, and it's in the story um, that we call the, 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 the Last Supper, when Jesus is having that last meal. And there's a verse in there where, where, where basically John says that Jesus, who knew where he was coming from, that's origin, and who knew where he was going, that's destination. So when he got the beginning right, he knew that he was from God, And he knew he was going to God. Then it says, he got up and he served. He got up and he washed people's feet. In other words, when you know where you come from, your origin, and when you know where you're going, your destination, the bit in between is when you live your best life and Jesus lived his best life because he lived his life loving God by loving and serving other people. And guys, that's what I want to talk to you about as we bring this series to a close today. Because I believe that when we love God by loving and serving other people, we begin to live our best life. And can I just say, science proves it. Science says that actually when you love and serve other people, there is kind of like endorphins that are released inside of you chemically. It makes you feel better. It gives you a better experience yourself when you're serving others. Psychology proves it. Serving and helping others is one of the biggest factors in well-being mentally. There's a Chinese um, saying that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. So important. And I want to address this because I think coming out of COVID, you know, and I know we are coming out, but we're not out. But coming out of this season, I think that there's some really big shifts in our culture and in us as followers of Jesus that we need to address and to look at. And what we've been looking at in this series is these three big ideas that Paul talks about. And he says, listen, in the end of, the end of everything, there's going to be three things that remain. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we've been looking at what does it mean to reset our faith? 
If reset is not just a soft reset where we switch it off and switch it back on, but a hard reset where we restore our life to the original factory settings, what does faith look like? What does hope look like? And we talked about how do we keep hope alive? You know, it's so difficult. And then we spent the last couple of weeks looking at love. And interestingly enough, the Bible in various parts of the Bible, lots of places, puts these three big ideas together. And when it puts them together, you can see the kind of people that God is wanting us to become. And I want to say this is important, I think, for us as individuals today, but it's really important for us as a church. And I know some of you may be watching and you're not from Life Central and that's fine and we love it that you're connecting with us. But for us as a Life Central Church, we believe coming out of this season that there's something God is saying to us as a community of people. And you see, Paul puts these three things together in Colossians 1, where it says, For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he says, Through Christ you've come to trust in God and you've placed your faith and hope in God. Then it says, So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. But my favourite um, part of the Bible where these three ideas are pulled together is the one I want to open up with you today. And it's in 1 Thessalonians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And Paul, and he writes this. So Paul, who wrote Corinthians, writes Corinthians, writes this as well. And he says this, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while you just look at those words for a bit, he's writing this around AD 51. This is probably the first letter that Paul ever writes. And so he writes this before he writes 1 Corinthians. Interestingly enough, he writes this from Corinth, okay? So he writes from Corinth to this little church in Thessaloniki. And in Acts 17, you read that Paul spent about three weeks in this place called Thessaloniki. And interestingly enough, this was a big city, like it was 200,000 people. It, at one stage, it almost became the capital of the Roman Empire alongside, uh, but it, that kind of went to, or the eastern part of it, that went to Constantinople. But Paul's writing this early on in his kind of leadership. And he's only spent a few weeks with these new believers in this place called Thessaloniki. And he just is so impacted by their faith, by their hope and by their love. See these three things coming together. And what he says is, your work was produced by faith. Your labour was prompted by love and your endurance was inspired by hope. And then he goes on in the next few verses to say, and not only that, but you became... You became a model for everyone else in the region. And that word model that he uses in the original language is the word typos, where we get the word type from. So you became a type or a pattern or a model. In other words, the faith and the hope and the love, you brought them together in such a way that it inspired other people who looked at you and said, we want to be like you. I want to say to you, Life Central, okay, and this is in no way trying to big us up. We've always felt that God has called us not just to be about ourselves, but to be about other people. Not just those in our community that we're trying to reach who don't know Jesus, but other churches. We want to resource, we want to encourage, we want to strengthen. Interestingly enough, I was teaching this week at our Bible college in Malvern and a couple of people came to me I didn't know and said, oh, you're from Life Central. We've heard a lot about you. I went, okay, what does that mean? And she said, no, it's all good. 
And we would love to come and see what you're doing because we've heard of how you impact the community by what you do. And when I look at this church in Thessalonians, I think, do you know what? That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, don't you? The work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. And you gave it away to other people. You became a model. You became a type. You became a pattern. You inspired other people. Life Central, we, I believe we have a call on us under God to be that kind of church. But it doesn't come easy and it doesn't come cheap. And we want to look at that today. Let me read you these words from the message translation. Such an interesting kind of adjustment on it, if you like. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labour of love, and your patience of hope in following our Master, Jesus Christ, before God our Father. And this is the phrase I love. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put His hand on you for something special. How many of you want to be under the hand of God? To know that He's placed His hand on you for something special. You know, I believe I've got a message stirring, which isn't for today, about what does it mean to be under the hand of God? Because sometimes being under the hand of God is painful. Sometimes being under the hand of God is pressurising. But I tell you what, I would rather be under the hand of God than not. And when God has placed his hand on you, he's placed it for something special. Don't ever think that your life doesn't count or doesn't matter because it really does. And when we allow God to place his hand on us, when we allow this faith and the hope and the love to work together, when we channel those things so that we serve God by serving and loving others, we become a model, we become a pattern, we become a type for other people as well. So what I want to do as we land this series, I want to talk to you about the kind of people that, if you like, are reset people. The kind of people that, that God is resetting to the original settings that are going to become this model, this pattern, this type that will inspire others. Number one, they are people whose faith makes a difference. You know, Paul says your works was produced by faith. The word that he uses for work is the word ergon, which means it's task, it's an accomplishment. It's done something. There's evidence for it. And of course, the word faith is pistis, which is literally, an unfortunate word, literally is a surrendered trust. It's like we surrender our trust, but actually our faith in Jesus is more than just a mental ascent. It's more than just to say, Jesus, I trust you. There's something to show for it. There's something to show for it. And guys, I want to say to you, if you were on trial and the charge was you are convicted or you are charged with being a follower of Jesus, here's the question. Would there be enough evidence to convict us? And I don't just mean do you go to church or do you read your Bible? Because I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. With it. He says, your works were produced by faith. You produce something in your life by faith. Something happened around you because of faith. Does our faith make a difference? You see, some people will work for, for, for duty. Some people will work for guilt. Some people will work for reward. But these guys work for faith. It was their faith that inspired them to do what they did. Secondly, there are people whose love causes them to hurt. How many of you have ever been hurt because of love? Of course we have. We all have. That phrase, labour prompted by love, the word that Paul uses for labour, it's about a toil involving weariness and fatigue. It's not like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. It's like, it's a toil. It's really hard work. 
And I want to suggest that, and of course the word love is the word agape, agape, uh, which is the ultimate sacrificial love. And I want to suggest that if, if you're, and you know, some people say to me, oh, you talk a lot about love, but what about truth? Okay, like there needs to be a balance between love and truth. And I understand that, although Jesus never really spoke in those kind of terms, which is interesting. But here's what I want you to think about. If you're not more loving, what you have is not true. Okay, because as well as we talk about the balance between love and truth, when you look at Jesus, he didn't talk like that. In fact, he often said, actually, it's all about love. If, you, if what you don't have, if what you have doesn't make you more loving, then what you have is not true. Many people say, oh, but this is the truth and they're not loving. Then I want to suggest that's not the truth because only the truth can lead to love. And what Paul is saying here is that your love was so powerful that it prompted this labour. In other words, you went through pain because you loved. And you can't think about love by just thinking about it as an emotion or a feeling. You know, and I don't think, you know, if we want to be these kind of people whose labour is prompted by love, it's got to be more than, I've got a loving feeling. You know that song? Because a loving feeling isn't going to do anything for anybody. Imagine Jesus saying, actually, I'm not going to go to the cross, but I've got a loving feeling about you. Do you know what I mean? I'm, just gonna, I'm with you in spirit. That's absolute rubbish. But actually, love is going to cost us. It's going to be painful. Does our love for Jesus, does our love for others cause us some pain? Because it should. C.S. Lewis said famously, if you love deeply, you're going to get hurt badly. But it's still worth it. And just before I move on, I want to, I want to pause because I just feel that the Holy Spirit, as I was going over this again this morning, might want to just say something in this moment to those of you that are in the room or watching online and you've been hurt badly. And maybe you're carrying that hurt right now and it's causing you to pull away and it's causing you to be distant and it's causing you to self-protect. And I just believe the answer to your healing is not in your pulling away, but in your coming closer to Him. And in coming closer to Jesus, We've got to be willing to come closer to other people as well. And, and I want to just say, maybe there's somebody here in the room right now and you've been hurt badly because you loved deeply. That's called being a human being. And you are not on your own in that. And Jesus, the one who was hurt so badly by the ones he came to save and to redeem, he cried on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And maybe if you have been hurt badly, you instead of pulling away, could allow Jesus to invite you and pull you even closer. His hands are the only hands that can bring healing to you right now. Maybe let me just pray for a moment. Father, I want to pray if there is anybody here in the room or those watching online and that resonates with them. They have been hurt badly because they love deeply. Maybe it was a partner that left them. Maybe it was a friend that deserted them. Maybe it was a parent that abandoned them. Lord, whatever it was. Maybe it was a work colleague. Maybe it was someone else in church. Maybe it was a friend, a neighbour. Somebody hurt them badly because they loved deeply. Jesus, I want to pray that Holy Spirit, by your power, even right now, you would begin to touch that hurt and that pain and begin to bring healing in Jesus' name. May we be people whose love, even though it causes us to, to get hurt at times, that we still keep loving deeply in Jesus' name. Amen. And then the third, final thing. I believe that people that God is looking for, guys, are a people whose hope enables them to keep going. 
to keep going. Endurance inspired by hope. The word for endurance, it means a remaining behind, a patient enduring. It means a remaining under pressure. And the word for hope that we looked at, Elpis, is a confident expectation in the goodness of God. So these guys remained under pressure and kept going whilst having a confident expectation in the goodness of God. And I want to suggest to us that our hope has to enable us to remain under pressure. It has to enable us to keep going in the pursuit of God and in the pursuit of loving others, even when life is tough. So you want to live your best life. I want to live my best life. But it's not the life that makes me happy where I am at my full potential. That's not the best life that God has for me. The best life God has for me is a faithful, hopeful, loving life, which loves God primarily by loving and serving other people. So I have three big questions for you to think about. Does our faith or does your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, Come to Alpha, okay? Check out what is this crazy thing that we're talking about, which actually is crazy and true at the same time. Does our faith make a difference? And maybe you want to ask that question, you know, 18, 19 months beyond COVID now. You know, does your faith make a difference? If you were put on trial and the charge was, you're charged with being a follower of Jesus, is there enough evidence to convict us? Does our faith make a difference? Are there works produced by faith? Secondly, does our love cause us some pain? Or actually, the minute that it begins to feel pain, are we out? And I want to be really honest today, okay? As the pastor here, I want to be honest. I want to be loving. But I want to be honest sometimes, and especially in this season, I hear so many Christians that are quitting because they're experiencing a little bit of discomfort. Does our love cause us some pain? It's a really big question. And then thirdly, does our hope enable us to remain and keep going? Are we remaining and enduring under the weight of pressure or actually are we wanting to quit as soon as there's a bit of pressure? I want to leave those questions on the screen because I want to talk to you really, really honestly today, okay? Because I think as I've been praying and reading and researching, the evidence, all right, suggests that for many followers of Jesus, especially in the UK and in the West, coming out of COVID, It's not all great news. Now, it's true that there are many people who've come to faith through COVID. Okay, brilliant. There may even be people in the room and you've come to faith in Jesus or online through COVID. Amazing. God's done some incredible things. There are many people who would say that their their relationship with Jesus is closer and deeper than it was before COVID. Brilliant. But, but there's some really difficult stuff that we have to come to terms with as well. There are many people who've disconnected. There are many people who've turned their back on Jesus. And here's one of the biggest things as well for me as well. There are many people who've stopped serving through this season. In fact, when you do an analysis on um, voluntary organisations, not just faith, not just churches, they reckon that in the UK, there's been a 20% at least, maybe as much as 25%, that's a one in four, one in five, one in four drop in formal volunteering. Now, there's been a slight increase in informal volunteering, and I'll explain that in a minute, but there's been a huge drop in formal volunteering. Now, the difference between formal volunteering and informal volunteering is this. Formal volunteering is consistent. It's when you're consistently investing in the lives of others. 
Informal is when you say, oh, yeah, I'll pick that stuff up and take it round to that, to that neighbour. You know, oh, that's an, an ad hoc one. The reality is informal volunteering is great but costs you very little. Whereas formal volunteering is not only great, but it costs you. And I want to suggest it absolutely changes the world. And the reality is that for us as a church, we're so grateful for all the volunteers in this church. But here's the truth. We cannot do all that we feel God is wanting us to do in order to reach people because we don't have the people willing, willing to formally volunteer again. And so we have one service. Why? Because we don't have the volunteers for two. We're aiming for two at the beginning of November. Will it be full kids work and youth work? Probably not. Why? We don't have the volunteers. And I'm not saying that to put guilt on you. I'm saying that to say, listen, guys, coming out of COVID, we all need a reset. We all need a reset. And there are many people saying, hey, I don't want to go on a road tour again. You know, I kind of got used to Sunday morning on my own and just getting up and watching it online. And that's great online or going a lot occasionally. I don't really want to come midweek and it's winter now and it's getting cold. And I get all of that. The reality is there are kids, young people, older folks, people in need who are waiting for people like you and I to go serve and make a difference. And all the time they're waiting, I believe that the heart of God is waiting for us as well. And I think when Paul saw this, this bunch of, of Christians in Thessalonica, he said, you know what? These guys, these guys, there's work produced by faith. There's labour prompted by love. There's endurance inspired by hope. And they became a model to everyone else. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. And in my research, I came across a, a guy that wrote these kind of five S's. These, these are the kind of people that are in church. They're in any organisation. There are squabblers, all right? We don't have many of them in, in this church, but we, we, you know, there are strugglers and many of us are struggling and that's, that's important, but we do have that. But there are also, there are slackers in reality. There are people that want to come and just receive. Uh, uh, you know, we come to church to receive but actually, theologically, where's that? Because we are the church and we're here for a broken world, aren't we? So we're not coming, so there are slackers. Then there are supporters. There are those who give financially and that's great. And they support and they pray and that's great. Brilliant. But ultimately, God is calling for servants. Because it's servants who lay down their life. It's servants who say, I'm here. It's servants who say, you know, because of what Jesus has done for me and because of the love that I have received from Him, I want to give my one and only life to serve God by serving other people. And it's servants who are going to change the world. It's servants who are going to bring heaven to earth. It's servants who are going to make a difference. It's servants who are going to live their best life. And maybe you, want, you, you respond by this phrase here. Well, I can't because I'm way too busy or, or because I'm too anxious or because I'm too inexperienced or because I'm too old or because I'm too young. You know, one of the great things through this season, you know, I, I, I used to feel like I used to be the youngest pastor in the room, believe it or not. It's been a long time since I've been the youngest pastor in the room. But these days in COVID, when I come in on a Sunday morning and I see the tech team and see the average age is like six. No, it's not six, like 15 or 17. I feel really old. But isn't that brilliant? that we've got 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old guys and girls who are serving and getting the Word of God out. That's brilliant. You're never too young. But I want to tell you this, you're never too old neither. 
And you know, and Alice and my wife, and there's not a link there between never too old, okay? So let me just, let me just, oh yeah. This is what happens when you go off your, off your notes. She, uh, as she's joined the staff team, one of her hearts and passions is, is, is to see, God, how can, we, how can we more effectively support, engage and release older adults? Because we've got, we've got over 130 older adults. And you, you want to say to me, how old is old? It's a year above your age, all right? That, no, it's not, okay? We've got about 130 over 65 in the church. That's a wealth of experience, life experience, faith experience. You are never too old. Maybe you're not going to be running one of these gimbal cameras or anything like that, but you can do a load of stuff for the kingdom of God. But I tell you what, all the time we sit on our couch or we sit on our seat and we just consume. We are never, ever going to live our best life. And maybe you're saying, I can't because, well, I want to suggest that you can. You know, there's a great story. I love this story. I'm going to be talking a little bit about this at the Vision Gathering next Sunday evening. And um, it's a story where Peter and the fishermen are out fishing all night long. They don't catch anything. And uh, Jesus pitches up and, and, you know, Jesus basically says to them, hey, you need to do it differently. You know, instead of, instead of casting your net there, why don't you cast your net there? And I know I often put myself in the mind of the people, you know, try and think what was going on. And Peter was a fisherman. And he knew that Jesus was a carpenter, son of a carpenter. And I wonder whether in Peter's mind, he's going, all right, mate, you know, I'm the fisherman. Okay, and I've been all night long doing this. And you as the carpenter come along and you just rock up and you say, throw the nets over there. And I just wonder whether Peter could have said, I'm the one that knows what I'm doing. You, you stick to, to wood and tables and chairs and I'll stick to fishing. He didn't say that. Here's what he said. And this is a phrase that you want to write down. He said this. But because you say so, I will. That's discipleship, isn't it? Jesus, I don't understand what you're asking me to do. Jesus, I might not even like what you're asking me to do. Jesus, oh, if it was up to me, I'd do something different. But because you say so, I will. And I want to say to you, please don't respond because I say so today. Because that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus. If Jesus speaks to you today, discipleship is basically saying, Jesus has spoken, I will. But because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. God is calling us, I believe, to push out into deeper water where there is more fish to catch, where there's more people to help, where there's more people to help find and follow Jesus. God is calling us to reset our lives, to be faithful, to be hopeful and to be loving. God is calling us to live out our best lives. That's going to mean that we need to become people who are not just consumers, but who are contributors, who are servants here on planet earth to be those people that see works produced by faith, labour prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. So what do I need to do? Let me say just one little phrase here. And I think this is, this is so important, little phrase I've coined. I think you need to find a need and feel a fire. And that's not just like alliteration and fancy preacher talk. I think find a need and feel a fire. Where's there a need and where's there a fire of passion within you? And when you can bring those two things together, then you've got, I think, the key to living your best life. Where's there a need and where's there something within me that I can match to that need. I want to say to you right now, we have, we're excited about what God's doing amongst the lives of children and young people. But we're struggling, if I can say that, just to, we have had so many volunteers that said, hey, you know, that's just not my season. And we understand that to a degree. It's tough. Within that, let me share my heart a little bit on this. There's a whole load of families with us who've got children or young people who've got additional needs. 
And um, right now, we don't have the capacity to help them. And so many of those families aren't able to come. They aren't able to access church as a family because we don't have people that can get alongside them. And many of you know that our youngest son, Simeon, is in residential care. He's 27, 27 now, believe it or not. But when he was little and uh, in the church and we just arrived, his associate pastor and then became the lead pastor here and, and Simeon was growing up. And obviously, as he grew up a little bit, the guys did an amazing job in our kids' work, but they got to a stage where his needs were so much that we didn't know what to do. And there was a group of people in the church who saw that there was a need and who had a fire within them. And they set up a ministry for a whole season. And it wasn't just for Simeon, but there were two or three other young people that grew into teenagers and their needs were so different and difficult that these guys week in, week out, looked after our kid, showed him a little bit of Jesus and enabled me and Alison to be a part of church. I don't, and Josh, our other son as well. I don't know what we'd have done as a family if it wasn't for those people that found a need, felt a fire and became servants. And I tell you, as a recipient of that kind of love, I want to say, guys, it is literally Game changing. It can be family saving ministry when you come alongside someone who's got additional needs and you say, hey, for a season, hey, maybe once a month, once twice a month, I'll, I'll give up an hour to sit with, with that young person to help them so that you as a family can access church and, and all that that means and community. It can literally save a family. You think you're too young? You're not too young. You think you're too old? You're not too old. Maybe it's not kids with special needs maybe it's not kids at all or young people I don't know what it is for you but, but, but maybe as you, as you listen and watch today online or here in the room maybe you're still saying this phrase here I, I, I can't because and that because word comes in whatever the because answer is for you maybe because you're too young or because you're too old or because you're too inexperienced or because you're too busy or because you're too tired or because you're too anxious or because you're too new. Maybe you think, I'm just too new here. I don't get it. Listen, you are not too new. You are not too old. You are not too young. You know, if God has put anything in you, it's there not just for you, but for other people as well. And I want to say to those of you guys who are new as well, and maybe you just joined us through this season, we would love to have a conversation with you about what would it mean for you to find a need and to feel a fire, for you to be plugged into something that you can serve in. And it can be adjusted to you and your lifestyle and, your, and all of that. But within all of that, we've got to give something. We've got to be willing to give something. Maybe you say, I can't because. Well, I want to say one more phrase to you. Here's the thing. You can't, but He can. Maybe you can't, but He can. And when we allow Him to work within us, God can do amazing things through us. I want to give you one practical response this morning. And I want to ask you and invite you, whether you've been around the church for years, whether you're brand new, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, wherever, I want to invite you to begin a conversation with us about where you could find a need and feel a fire and connect those two things up together. And here's what you do. Go to our website, lifecentralchurch.org.uk forward slash next steps. And then on the next steps thing, you just fill it in. It doesn't take very long. There's lots of different options. Maybe you want to look at some of them. One right in the middle of that list. I want to join a team. 
We believe in team here. Everything we do is in team. I want to join a team. I don't know what team to be a part of. I don't know where the need is. I don't know how I can connect the fire within me. I want to join a team. I want to have a conversation. You're committing to nothing other than taking a step and having a conversation. If you don't want to do it that way, you can do it by text. Text um, LCC Next Steps, your name to 60777, and then you'll get a link to the Next Steps card. But I want to do that because I want to invite you guys as we finish this series. Next week, we're going to baptise people. Then we've got Jeff Lucas coming. Then we start another series. And before you know where we are, we'll be at Christmas. We've got an incredible opportunity in this season coming out of COVID when our world is pretty traumatised, pretty broken. And maybe, and we are part of that as well. I understand that. But we have got an opportunity to be people who carry faith, who are hope full and hope filled and who are loving not just in our thoughts or in our emotions but in our actions and in our deeds and we do it all because of the reckless incredibly overwhelming love that Jesus has for us and we want to finish um, really this morning by by singing this incredible song called Reckless Love and uh, many of you, you know, whenever you hear this song, Reckless Love, and even you hear the phrase, Reckless Love, it's like, oh, I don't quite understand that word, Reckless. I've had many, many theological conversations with people about this whole thing. Let me just read to you from the writer himself why he wrote Reckless Love. Because I think we want to finish in this place of saying, hey, this all starts, okay? Living your best life originates in the heart and the love of God. And it ends up, in the heart and the love of God. So it, that's where it ends up and that's where it begins. And this is what he says about this phrase. Many have asked me for clarity on the phrase reckless love. Many have wondered why I'd use a negative word like reckless to describe God. I've taken some time to write out my thoughts. I hope it brings answers to your questions. But more than that, I hope it brings you into an encounter with the wildness of His love. I'm not saying that God is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way He loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this, He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of His actions with regards to His own safety, comfort and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, it's quite childlike. His love doesn't consider Himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what He'll gain by putting Himself out there. He simply gives Himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at Him and offer ourselves in return. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. To many practical adults, that's a foolish concept. What if He loses the 99 in search of the one? What if finding that one lost search what if finding that one lost sheep is and will always be supremely important? His love isn't cautious. No, it's a love that sent His own Son to a gruesome death on the cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives His heart so completely, so preposterously that if refused, many, most would consider it irreparably broken. Yet He gives Himself away again and again and again. The recklessness of His love is seen most clearly in this. It gets Him hurt over and over. Make no mistake, our sin pains His heart 
and 70 times seven is a lot of times to have your heart broken. Yet he opens up and allows us in every single time. His love saw you when you hated him. When all logic said they'll reject me, he said, I don't care if it kills me. I'm laying my heart on the line. And then he finishes with this. To get personal, His love saw me, a broken down kid with regret as deep as the ocean. My innocence and youth poured out like water. Yet He saw fit to use me for His kingdom because He's just that kind. I didn't earn it and I'm sure as heck I don't deserve it. But He's just that good. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. I wonder if I can ask you to stand, guys, if you're here in the room. And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for you online as well. And maybe in this moment, as we respond in worship, let's just respond again to this incredible, overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And when you're loved by God like that, then you must want to love like God to others. Our world is crying out for a bunch of people who are ordinary, who are average maybe, who are unintelligent, who are unimpressive, but who are radically, recklessly loved by God and want to love like God to our world around us. Can I pray? Let me pray for you. And as I pray, maybe for someone here and you've never experienced this reckless, overwhelming, never-ending love of God, you can know His love today. You can know His love today love to introduce you to Him. But I want to pray for every single one of us. Father, we thank You for this incredible love that is You. You are love. You don't just have loving feelings. God, You are love. And God, as You poured Your love out into our hearts, may we be people who pour that love back out to our world. May we be people who, who produce works because of faith, who, who, who have labour pains at times because of love and, and who keep running and enduring because of the hope that we carry. May we be faithful, loving, hopeful people who are loved by God and then who love others like God. And may we as a church be known as that. May we be a type, may we be a pattern and a model Lord, known, not just for our building or our this or that, but God, known because of the way in which we love. So Lord, as we worship You now, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would You inspire us? Would You, would you minister to our hearts where we have allowed this season to, 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 to cause our heart to grow cold, to get a little bit self-centred and selfish, if we're honest. May we be shook out of that. May we be loved out of that. And may we come into this season as people who are faithful, hopeful and loving for the sake of Jesus and for His kingdom, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let's worship.